welcome, welcome one, welcome all to another fantastic episode. There's no doubt about that. I stay low key. Sitting around here, bloody dancing to my music. I guess I better get a show going, eh? What do you think about that? That's what I need to do. 
Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I got a little bit carried away myself. <sighs> Didn't even know that the uh, music went as far as it, it actually went. Didn't even have it lined up, to be honest with you. These things happen, really, when you think about it. Yeah, they. it's a very, very fine line between being a professional broadcaster and an amateur, you know what I mean? There's the next level. I'm sort of reached between the two sort of thing. It's a struggling event, there's no doubt about but. Now, let me get back into this. Let's get my eye dog here. Where have you gone? Come on. Oh, mate. He didn't come. He's freaking disappeared. Shit. Well, that's not going to help things. That ain't going to help things at all. There's no doubt about that. Now, until next week where I'm going to excel myself. There's no doubt about that. Um, now, what am I going to kick this one off? All right. I got this. The birth of America. Now, this is about the birth of America, guys. And in- introduced by Christian Northrup, MD, and spoken by Alex Colliger, January the 28th, 2024, guys. I think you might find this fascinating. Mm hmm. North or south or east or west of. The mighty Mississippi. That's right. That's right. I think you will get your head blown. Ooh. Nothing like a good head blow, I guess. But um, to the layman, this is what I'm going to do to you. What do you think about that? I think you're getting very excited. I know I am. Actually starting to blush to be honest with you. All right, let's do this. Let's get in this rabbit hole, Americans. The birth of America. Listen, you may learn something. Hey. Hello, everybody. Hello, I'm Dr. Christian Northrup. And I was listening the other day to my friend and colleague, Alex Collier. Alex has a long history of understanding things off-world and on-world. The birth of America. But what he really touched my heart with With was the story of the United States of America. (laughs) I am by trade an obstetrician gynecologist. So I'm- I was thinking she was going to say by the looks of it, I am by trade a full-blown four-liter alcoholic wino whorebag. <laughs> oh, calm down, Oz. Come on. Oh, I'll give her freaking credit, man. Jeez. Very used to attending Sorry. births. Very rude. Right now, we are at the Pluto return Uh-oh. of the United States of We're- America. We're we're at the retrograde, um, long pants. We're at the retrograde, man. Oh my God! There's milk not in the fridge, and Mercury's in the retrograde. Ah! In other words, Pluto is going back to where it was at Uh-oh. the very birth of our nation, Uh-oh. a nation which I truly believe Uh-oh. is favored by God. Uh-oh. Not because we're special, uh, but because this country was an experiment oh, in human liberty, oh, in universal human liberty and freedom. justice through all. 
And when you understand what the founding fathers went through to birth this nation, and when you understand that this story is not what you've been told, <laughs> it ain't, darling. You will be. That's not what you've been told either. Just like the colonial army <laughs> under George Washington. You're preaching to, to the choir here, darling. For your fellow humans, you got no so that idea. we may you no at last clue. be free. So please listen to Alex Collier telling you the real history of America, of the United States, that you have not learned. My blue your mind. Join arms with me and Alex. No and people all over the world who are standing for freedom. Join arms with me. And justice and liberty. And everything that we hear. I want more than arms joined, if you know what I mean. Is possible in our hearts. Mm -hmm. I want a bit more than arm joining. Thank you very much, my little darling. Navigating the storm, part of that is knowing about the information. Come join my arm. Everything that's coming. Hey, who's this? Hey, Rob, do you want to join my arm? All sides, east, west, north. Maybe we can do the tulip song. Tiptoe through the tulips with me. South, up and down. It's it's coming from everywhere. Tiptoe through the tulips. Tiny Tim. That's him. What the hell is All this? the information has some value. Oh, this is going to get boring if he's going to pause it every And we all go through stages where seconds. we will listen to one specific type of information for a while. And then at some point, we, we it's uh, not that we lose interest. We feel like, okay, I, I, I got what it That's it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even gonna freaking do it. It goes. For, it goes for a freaking hour, guys. I ain't gonna be sitting here for an hour listening to this shit. I'll. I'll publish it or some freaking thing. I ain't gonna be wasting my time in this sort of re- re- rhetoric sort of situation. You know what I mean? I've got better things to do with my time, man. I can sit here. I could be scratching my left nut for Christ's sake. Listen to this shit. Anyway, so what I'm gonna do. I'm going to actually put it up on my next show, like as a broadcast. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. Now, there was something that happened to me today. Yes, and I recorded my usual visit home. And I'm going to play to everyone so you can hear the chaos and anarchy that I live in. That's right. You're going to hear a little bit of my life. That's right. I'm going to get personal tonight, guys. I haven't done that for quite some time, actually. It's been at least three days. But um, I think you might like this. Now you know, maybe, and have a little bit of sympathy towards me as a human being, guys. Because this is my daily routine. It's like deja vu, man. Here we go. Oz man comes home. Hard day down at the pub. Off yep. Yep. I'm starting to lose it, sorry. I did decide to record it because people say that the neighbours were complaining and I thought, well, there's nothing to really complain about. But I'll see. I offer records! Covered in bubblegum! Yeah! 
my collection of rare, incurable diseases. Violated. No. Oh, oh I broke down the recording. That's right. I had to do it in two hits. Dinosaur trophies painted like Easter eggs. Ah! You idiots! This is how you talk to your kids, guys. There's no doubt about it. Yep. I don't want any confrontations until I actually have a whiz. You know what I mean? Griffin's in the cliff. Uncle Cliff's got something to say here. Welcome to the broadcast, my Time 25. for a minute. Time and hyperspace. So, um... We'll Humans give him five. Hyperspace by way of... We're going to give Cliff... Cliff High, his name is. We're going to give him five minutes. Yeah, I don't mind following him. He's um, very similar to myself in certain areas, actually. He, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's listen to a bit of Cliff. Uh, psychedelics. And um, when you go to hyperspace, you have to... Uh, there's a particular technique where you can use microdosing to get there. Um, it's more controllable than shamanic levels. It's a shorter duration. I'm talking mushrooms or mescaline, not like DMT. DMT is like a cannon. It just blows you right through hyperspace. You don't have a chance to, you know, 
uh, take off your rain gear and uh, set a spell. You just you're just blown right through it. Actually, if you like this of Cliff, um, I'll publish him um, tomorrow. Yeah, I'll put him up on my next. It goes for about just under forty minutes. But he's um, yeah, he's really he re- really reminds me of myself. This out of any people I've come across, actually, um, very well. There's probably one or two others out there. But um, yeah, 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 some crazy stuff. All right, we'll give you a five minute taste of him anyway. Um. Anyway. In hyperspace, um, there is no um, sensation or appreciation for duration or time in that regard. So it is a hyperspace is a um, the incredible now. It is the uh, perpetual now. Uh, there is no thought in hyperspace of any time other than that particular instant that you have happen to be in. Uh, there is time, and you're aware of time. Uh, when I was there, um, I would kick back when I had mescaline. I would kick back and talk to this guy that had a, sort of a flat head and a slightly yellowish skin and had his emotions writing up over on the top of his skin, right? They were like biophotons that were emitted through the skin that, that were colored, and they, they, they reflected his emotional state. Or hormonal or whatever. I mean, you, you don't get like a, an encyclopedia. Knowledge takes fucking years to extract out of your experience. So it's it's not like it's crystal clear at any given moment what the hell's going on relative to such details. Other things are crystal clear. Speaking of crystals, um, time in hyperspace was crystalline in nature, and it and it moved in this like riverbed um Looking awesome. now bear in mind in hyperspace everything is alive every single fucking molecule is screaming awesome. for your attention Spring. trying to get hold of you Spring. and basically what's happening is you are uh inundated with all of the frequencies of all of the uh stuff that's in hyperspace not just your own body which you're continually aware of in a way that you cannot grasp uh when you're out of hyperspace or if you it's funny they mention like you know, the time zone over here would begin in April. The first week of April would be the new year, right? But April over here is actually, um, well, autumn, really, coming into autumn here. And January, we're pretty much autumn. Now, the weird thing about it, in certain other countries, it's like spring, you know what I mean? Now, this is the most bizarre thing when you look at it. And I talked about this in the Mesoyani communities about 25 years ago, actually. And I, I raised a bit of a fuss because of the Sabbath, which to me, if the law was supposed... Now, this is just my own personal research. Anyway, many years ago, like I, so I'm not a bit shady on it, actually. don't even know why I'm bringing it up. But think about this. Where does the actual law come from, all right? So if you're going to witness the Sabbath, say, for instance, here in Australia, it would be a different time set to over there in another part of the world, you know, where the sunrise sets and different days and all this sort of shit. Now, it says that the law will come out of a certain place. Now, if that's the case, then everything on a Mediterranean or what do you call that, that med 
um, timeline. Um, would, if you put a straight line down the earth, if it's round, or whatever the frick it is, put a line straight down from Israel, or that, or Iraq, I guess, Iraqi, Israel, sort of um, maybe semi-Turkey, ge ge geographics, that that is where the law has actually come out, like where it was actually made law, or, yeah. So maybe a lot of us that uh, are against the Sunday worship are actually, if you know what I mean, and that whether it's a day ahead or a day behind, whatever you, you want to look at it, that uh, maybe your real day is not the real day after all, you know. It might be called Saturday. Yep, might be. But um, according to the, the moon and the heavens, you know, that's where our geographical sort of um, evaluation should come from and in a certain place of the law where it was brought forth and where it was to go from. And I think a lot of people would probably get a lot of... Um, yeah, a lot of people would get a lot of information out of that, and if they really thought about it a bit hard, when is your actual observance, and and where you know where do they actually come from? Is it the Gregorian calendar, or are you going by the the cycles of the heavens? You know, which is really God's um, calendar when you look at it. You know, or if you believe in that sort of thing not what we call a day or a year or the beginning of a year or 12 months instead of 13 or 10, you know, we've, we've adopted these sort of issues, you know, and um, it's just something to really think about, to be honest with you. All right, let's, I'll just play another couple of minutes of old mate and I'll um, get back into something else. Never been there, uh, but everything is calling for your attention. So to look at time, um, and study it, and study the crystals of time within the the riverbed uh, is a monumental task because the riverbed. I actually brought up something in the stones that was um, mentioned the ten or twelve stones, whatever they were, in some sort of thing to do with a building in the in the scriptures, which was fascinating as well because it actually showed you on the certain lights that the ones that were missing would not produce light under a certain technique. It was fascinating. I might even have it actually coming up soon. Anyway, back to old mate. Itself is screaming for your attention. The non-water that is there is screaming for your attention. All of these things are going on. And so it's very difficult to get focused and, and learn shit, right? But what was really interesting about the time aspect of it, the crystalline nature of time within hyperspace, is that each and every one of the crystals, had you had the uh, ability to really focus, you could have looked in on any of the, um, the facets of any of those crystals and seen the events that were going to happen in that time that that crystal encapsulated. Um, you know, it's uh, fucking impossible to do. And there's, there's no reference point, right? So just because you might have seen something in um, one of these crystals that was like a... Um, you know, a landslide or a big fire or something. Well, there's like no, um, no anchor. There's no way to tell where in all of our universe those events were taking place. Yeah, there you go. That's a bit of Cliff Eye, guys, if you haven't heard of him. Great bloke. Yeah, I really enjoy his um, 
yeah, he's analysts on on life events and just just his overall sort of views. Yeah, I really do appreciate him actually. <clears throat> now, something is happening on Antarctica. Are they hiding something? Antarctica is a land of extremes. Nearly 98% of the ground is covered by an ice sheet up to three miles thick. A mountain as towering as Japan's Mount Fuji at 12,400 feet would not even break the surface. Temperatures regularly fall below minus 50 degrees Fahrenheit with winds of up to 200 miles an hour. During its peak season, it is home to only 4,000 scientists and military personnel. Although it was discovered nearly 250 years ago, scientists have more questions than answers when it comes to this frozen continent. Due to the sheer depth of the ice covering its landmass, the surface of Antarctica is unable to be seen with the naked eye. And ancient astronaut theorists propose that it is not just the geology that is hidden from us. Thank you. They suggest there is far more human and perhaps non-human activity happening in Antarctica than we've been told. Rumors of extraterrestrial activity in Antarctica have circulated for years. If these accounts are true, and there is, in fact, an extraterrestrial presence in Antarctica today, could it have been there for hundreds or even thousands of years? <laughs> it's been really weird, guys, because this is the one that I keep getting on my mind. I think this will be the next um, broadcast on Outside's um, conspiracy one that we do together. I think we might, after we go into the... Um, the uh, lost civilization of Atlantis, we can delve into Antarctica and maybe even the North Pole as well. Some fascinating research I've got here on that. There's no doubt about it. Blow your In mind. In July 2018, Linda Moulton Howe interviewed a whistleblower who offered to provide her with classified information regarding Antarctica on the condition that she not reveal his identity. Her source, a retired Navy SEAL, who she identifies as Spartan One, provided her with details of an ancient structure he claims to have visited during his time at the South Pole. Mm -hmm. At that time, my rank was First Lieutenant Commander, Naval Special Operations. We were inbound the southeast coast of Antarctica. We were dispatched for unofficially was a research reconnaissance mission. Officially, it was to find a certain individual, obtain any information, and bring it back. What was the date? August 2003. According to Spartan One, when he and his team reached their destination, mm -hmm. they encountered a large octagonal structure protruding from the ice. Cautiously, they proceeded to enter it. At the very top of the first structure we entered, there was almost 18 feet poking from the ice. The rest of it was hidden under the ice. Each door was the same, uh, anywhere from 18 feet thick to around 30 feet thick. 
And even though these doors were that thick and that heavy, you could take one finger and push them and they would open. There was no resistance whatsoever. That's nearly two foot. Think about it. Ugh. Roughly between, yeah, in, the, in an average, that is one sick freaking thick door, guys. The outside temperature was at least 40 degrees below zero. Once you stepped inside these structures, the temperature was at ambient 68 to 72 degrees. What about the ceilings, hallways, floors? It was lighted from the inside, but we could not find the source of light. It was a lime green in color. The walls were lined with what I call hieroglyphics, but nothing of hieroglyphics hey, that I've ever seen right? in my life. Could there really be mysterious structures buried at the South Pole? Structures built by an advanced extraterrestrial civilization in our remote past. Located on the southern peninsula of Ross Island, this is the largest research station on the continent. It was opened by the U.S. government in... Hey, welcome to the room, for Hey, how you going, Rock? Yeah, good to see you, mate. Yeah, I'm just um, doing a bit about Antarctica at the moment. Fascinating, you know, um, little bit of a documentary I've got here. It goes for about another... Um, uh, four four minutes or three three and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. Actually, I worked with a lady actually once. Um, that her husband was in the Antarctic, and I got a picture of the um of the base there back in the day. Actually, yeah, she I asked her if I could take a picture or a picture. You know, yeah, fascinating. She even had a um, it was looked like a pink quartz, um, probably the size of a football. And um, that was in, she was going to give that to me when she died, actually. But she probably can't track me down now that I've left the industry. And um, that was apparently from the Antarctic as well. Yeah, I was fascinated in that. I would have, yeah, I coveted that. I'd say I've never coveted nothing in my life apart from that bloody, um, that crystal, man. It was, it was a absolute beauty. Wish I'd have take, actually taken a freaking photo of it, to be honest with you. Anyway, get, let's get back to this. 1956 and houses up to as many as 1200 residents at a time in january of 2015 a u.s navy flight engineer who served with the antarctic development squadron at mcmurdo for 14 years came forward to investigate a reporter linda moulton howe with bizarre accounts of his time in antarctica in January 2015, I got an email from a retired naval flight engineer. He's asked me to call him only Brian in the world public. And this is what he told me from about 1983 to when he retired from the Navy in 1997. He was in all kinds of what they call Antarctic Squadron expedition missions that included rescuing people in and out of various places. In all these trips, nothing of a high strangeness had occurred, and then all of a sudden it was one thing after another. During a squadron mission in the Transantarctic Mountains, the whole crew saw a whole bunch of silver darting objects mm -hmm. and they are round and he says they're doing the strangest Food fighters thing. guys they're going like to this peak in a group to this peak in a group 
to this peak in a group, and then they'd all take off. And not only did this happen once, it happened Mercury over based and over. Technology, man. According to the informant, this was just one of many strange mysteries on the continent that he witnessed during his time there. They get an assignment not long after there's a medical emergency. They, they are now under the gun. The clock is ticking and a decision was they made. They're going technology. through the no-fly zone because it's a medical emergency. And what do they see? Same In the, with the ice, clock. The bill. Like a huge entrance to a cave, but slanted going down. And he said, I think it was at least limited 200 feet in diameter, a big hole in the ice. And he said, our instruments are not operating. We were losing electricity. We had magnetic anomalies. And we concluded there's something about this hole that is now causing these problems. They do their medical recovery. And the next thing they know, they're all being chewed out by men in suits that are not from McMurdo. They appear to be from Washington, D.C. And as he said, they told us that we are never ever to fly over that hole and we are never to discuss it again. What is that about? And does that have anything to do with all these other pieces that keep emerging, that there might be something archeological in Antarctica? According to ancient astronaut theorists, this was not the first time a massive hole has been spotted in the ice of Antarctica. Famous polar explorer, Admiral Richard Byrd, allegedly reported seeing a massive entrance to an underground world during his 1947 expedition to the South Pole. That's right. This hasn't got long to go. And we've also got the one of the smoky god uh, look look at that one up. If you want the book, I've got it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, very interesting. That's the North Pole as well. All right. Let's move along. This one's... Yes, we've all heard about those well, things like Skinwalker Ranch and so on and so This This goes around Skinwalker Ranch, and I, I think I actually published this one two days ago, so I want to give you a taste. If not, I'm going to put it up anyway because it's fascinating. It's, um, it's about the UAP and the Ranchland High Strangeness. This High Strangeness, this is really weird, guys. You know, my show Strange Days, all right? Three to four times tonight, all right? I've heard the terminology high strangeness. Now, what the hell is that all about? I even done a show before I'd come across that. As one was high strangeness. No shit, you can go back and look at it right now. This is another one. This is that I didn't even know I had loaded up. So this is about the fourth one just within an hour or an hour and a half of my life that talks about not just strangeness, but high strangeness. It is freaking me out. Mm-hmm. This is. And I'm not one to be easily freaked out. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like, woo! <laughs> yes. Osman might be having... Oh, 
Hey, we got a dog in the house. There you go. On. Long time they see. Can't have any cooked bones, eh? Bloody hell. Look at ya. What have you been eating? Jesus. Yeah. Good girl. See ya. She wanted to say hello. Oh. Why does she keep rubbing her bum like she's got worms or something? Yeah, she needs scratch. <laughs> Little freak. We might have to put it down tomorrow. <laughs> we'll take it to the vet, get her out of her misery. Yeah. Live <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah. Bloody hell. Did you like your sandwich? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was like bells and whistles on that. Oh, well, off to school, eh? Bloody hell, that come quick. Yeah. Oh, she's going to school. Yeah, I'll look after it. They'll be all right. I'm just doing a show with me old mates over here at the moment. Yeah. So I don't want to say names or anything. Yeah. What the hell? This That wasn't there the other day. What are you doing to your bum? You little homo. What are you doing? How is she biting it, is she? Yeah. Why? Because it's itchy. All the dogs are itchy. You're right. Well, have, have we got some powder for them or something? We got this spray and like dog shampoo that should stop it. Yeah. Spray uh, yeah. I'll, I'll get you some mag. I, actually, I've got some magnesium. Well, I'll be back in a second, guys. Well, then let me put a, this on while I'm doing something. But what truly yeah, um, is really happening, or should we say, has happened in the past. But Skinwalker Ranch isn't the only ranch. There are a number of multiple reports of phenomena taking place in various different forms uh, of ranch lands, be it Chalk Hill Ranch, Clearview Ranch in Colorado, uh, the um, Mount Wilson Ranch in Nevada, Sean Bartak Ranch in Colorado, Sherman Ranch in Utah, of course, was Skinwalker Ranch, Bradshaw Ranch in Arizona, Stardust Ranch in Arizona, the M Triangle. Well, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the M Triangle in Russia. And, of course, more recently, the Meadow Project, which is, I believe, in the location of Georgia. So we've all heard those really weird stories that there are things that go bump in the night, there are strange cryptids, there are UFO incidents. It makes you think that this phenomena is somehow tied together, somehow linked, somehow associated. But how can that be? If we're dealing with UFOs which are coming from a distant other planet, travelling to Earth, then why should the phenomena be so much association with an ancient earthly phenomena known as the paranormal? Makes you think, doesn't it? So when we take a look at Sherman Ranch, you know, Terry and Gwen Sherman reported a lot of strange things back in the day. And there was a lot more evidence supporting that material. The, the crazy things that were happening on that farmland was just way out there. The phenomena was taking place around the fields and in their home. Paranormal phenomena was strife throughout the house. In fact, they had to lock cupboard doors to stop the doors from flying open and things flying off the shelf. The pet dogs were kept pretty much inside the house at night rather than outside to keep the, <laughs> to keep the family safe because they were worried about paranormal intruders. 
Of course, there was these types of poltergeist type incidents taking place in their home, but there was also a huge amount of UFO activity. And apart from that, strange cryptids were being seen. There were reports of like werewolf, dogmen type creatures, which were seen around the ranch. Also, Bigfoot type creatures, which were seen. Apart from that, there were also mysterious things happening to the animals, which are strangely found deceased in in horrific ways and that has been an ongoing problem for many years throughout these ranch lands and there are scientific reports showing detailed images and detailed analysis of these animals and in fact on one particular occasion uh, mr sherman his dogs ran after some type of phenomenon was taking place and it didn't oh yeah yeah, he's still going. Yeah, I got a bit sidetracked there. Yeah, I'm going to play him for another minute and then we'll move along. And too well for the dogs, unfortunately. However, in more modern times, Sherman Ranch, which is better known for Skinwalker Ranch, has become somewhat of a publicity stunt as far as I'm aware. And I really don't know what to believe. I mean, I've, we've all seen the television show. I'm not completely convinced that what is being reported on the TV show is accurate and certainly can come up with numerous different theories to explain, such as, you know, capturing an insect on film and thinking it's an unidentified object of some sort, <laughs> travelling at an incredible speeds. I mean, you know, come on, guys. Uh, and secondly, you know, what are those unusual frequencies that are allegedly being uh, captured in that area, the 1.6 um, megahertz, which... If you actually Google 1.6 megahertz, there are things within that range that could uh, account for such frequencies. Mm. However, it's a bit of a mystery still. It's all um, about frequencies. One thing is for sure, when my colleague and principal investigator Barry Fitzgerald was there a few years ago in that location, yes, he did capture UFO phenomena. Yes, he was aware that there were strange phenomena on the ranch land such as strange again strange hey 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 you going there uncle caps yeah strange again guys it's really really weird what a weird night you make me feel like i am home again let's go a little bit back into my file here and the world is covered in unimaginable let's let's delve into the realm of the enunaki guys what do you think about that we can pull this off for at least really um, five minutes, I reckon. I'm going to pull this off for you. Yeah, enjoy. Unless I've got to pause something here and there to correct their wording or something. The numbers of ancient megalithic sites built by civilizations and people that we know nothing about. Structures like this. I'm the that corrector. were built by some people in ancient times. And when they were finished building this one, they decided to build one of these. They said, let's drag a bunch of rocks from Wales and put them up in a circle. And somebody said, well, why should we do that? Because it's cool. And they went into the desert and they built a... You know, you know the we really weird thing about it, though, that's really annoying me, is I've had this damn song in my head and I can't get rid of it. I'm serious, guys. It's really, really... You know, when you ever get that, and if I don't hear it, I think there's going to be a problem. That's right. I think I'm going to have a breakdown of some sort. There's no doubt about it. But that means me cutting down virtually the shower yeah, and going into a, another folder of grandiose, you know, ideologies and all these other aspects. 
and um, I don't think I'm really up on key, if you know what I mean, keyed up to be able to pull that off really uh, fluently. If you know, fluently would be a good word at the moment, I guess, or in the realm of fluence, fluently fluent, yeah, those sort of aspects. And to top that off, it is already taken me during this bullshit conversation and dribbling my balls is that it's still not loading. So we have entered the realm of, uh-oh, <laughs> the auto realm, no, please. Anyway, have a listen to this. I couldn't be bothered playing my song. I forgot. I actually forgot what the song was now. <laughs> you bloody! This is the best thing about having our songs, guys. Ah oh, man, makes the happiest marriage this side of the Mississippi. There's no doubt about it. A big statue because they didn't have any statues, and the reason I realised just recently why they could do all this stuff in ancient times. They didn't have jobs to go to every day. They had all this time on their hands to do stuff with, say, what shall we do today? Hey, let's go and build some of these pyramidal kind of things right next to this big statue in the desert. They went near Israel and built these big platforms with giant rocks. And they went up the mountains in South America and they built more rocks and put it into each other. And they thought, wow, it'll freak out people in the future. And they went and carved big statues and put them under a roof of solid stone and rock because they needed statues and they needed some place to go and worship and offer food to these statues. They built Faces, uh, wall faces with faces sticking out them. And why did they do that? Because it's going to freak people out. And they did that because want a all pyramid. this time. One of the guys said, look, what we've never done yet is dig now. a hole and want a surround the hole with giant stones. So they said, well, let's do that. So they did that. Why should we do it? Because we can. So they did that. And then one said, wow, that's amazing, huh? I said, would that? I'm going to order a bloody pyramid, guys. I've got at least five years left in me for sure. Maybe three, maybe two or something. What do I mean now? Yeah, uh, three to five years at least. There's no doubt about it. I want a bloody pyramid. I want to be put in a pyramid. That's for bloody sure. I just hear you say, did you say, huh? Wow. I think that that is a really cool a big, big letter for pyramid. an alphabet. We don't have an alphabet yet, but I think let's start with her as a first letter of the alphabet. So they went up the mountain and they carved a whole lot of hers. They went oh, up the I mountain and carved a whole city pyramid. out of solid rock. And they said, we need more pillars on top of a platform. What is clearly evidential is that these people could hold their breath for a long, long time. Ooh. Because then they went under the water, under the oceans, and they did this only because they could hold their breath. Otherwise, Shit. And they went jungles and they built these kind of things they're really scary and they built more statues and chopped their heads off because that was freaky and then another guy said what we've never done is taken a big rock and hollow the rock out so they went and they hollowed a bunch of rocks out and they scattered them throughout Siberia and then they went back into the desert and they carved out big blocks and put them on top of each other like Lego blocks and they covered it with sand and then they built this big thing that when you look at it from the top it vibrates it looks like it's moving and vibrating and then they put these bell-like things on top of it and the amazing thing is that they did all this stuff with hammers, chisels, ropes, and pulleys. (laughs) All of these structures are either in the northern hemisphere or along the equator. Very little has ever happened in the southern hemisphere. And that's a, that's a big problem until you discover the vanished civilizations of Southern Africa. Uh-huh. If Southern Africa is supposed to be this cradle of humankind that we keep being told. That's right. Southern Africa was called, um, I think it was Graham Hancock made a book about that. Uh, what was that? Uh, shit. Shit, 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 shit. 
I forgot the bloody name of it. Ah, damn it. He, oh, this guy will probably bring it up. Oh, man, this stuff fascinates me. What about? There must be stuff that happened there in ancient times. Southern Africa had left behind more than 10 million circular stone ruins. That's right. Some of them are very large. Some of them are small. Some of them look insignificant. Oh, oh, some of them look like beautiful. I remembered it. Adam's Ca- Calendar. That's the name of the book. Fascinating um, thing about Africa with the, all these stones that this dude's bringing up. Absolutely mind-blowing. Flowers, and you'll notice that they're all connected to each other by these channels. They do not stand alone. You'll notice that they have extended structures that are covered by soil that move away from the stone circles as we see them sticking out of the ground today. The key thing here is that there are no doors and entrances. So these cannot be dwellings for cows or other animals. They're something else. Archaeological drawings from 1939 clearly indicate that they have no doors and entrances, that they're circular structures all linking to each other. And that is all seated in a large network of agricultural terraces that cover at least 450,000 square kilometers. It is a whole new level on Anunnaki activity. And not just Anunnaki, but many other ancient beings that were not necessarily as benevolent as the Anunnaki. That's right. It's only the Anunnaki that we've got a reference to, to go to, and that we know that there's a big thing to do with gold and mining, yes, which is an interesting subject as well, is the um, the Cornish. They're a very unique race, the Cornwells, because they, um, they're known to be miners. There's, I think there's a, something I haven't looked into, but I think it would be a great study to get into about the Cornwells the Cornish race of people and track them back. I'm sure they'd have some sort of ties to um, some sort of mining empire way back before even recorded history. Yeah, yeah. Just think about it. Just think about their nature. Think about their, um, you know, they're the, probably the main people out there that are actually into the mines and that lot. You know, they're well known for, for miners even to this day. So, yeah, that's a, another rabbit hole definitely to look into for sure. Whatever was happening in Southern Africa, they were growing huge amounts of food that were feeding all the other groups of beings around the world. The flagship among all these ruins in Southern Africa unquestionably is... And the other thing with the corns, um, I've never heard it um, spoken about before. I might be completely wrong, but they were actually an empire or they actually had the land before even England was established. It's how far back these lads go, yeah, unless it's very interesting. Yeah, that would make a great, um, yeah, something to bring up, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, yeah, the Cornish, the Cornwalls. Become known as Adam's Calendar. This site was rediscovered by Johann Heiner in 2003, 2004. It is now, as far as I know, the oldest example of the oldest working sun calendar. It still works. As you can see, the shadow of the, the rock closest to us cast a shadow on the calendar stone and it moves from the left to the right from the summer solstice to the winter solstice and when it reaches the right uh, edge of that calendar stone it comes back so you can still tell every day of the year based on the setting of that sun there's a 3d reconstruction of adam's calendar where we have a horus stone we have three stones uh, the orion stones that line up with the rise of orion north is on the left south is on the right if you continue north to to your left 
you get to Great Zimbabwe. And if you carry on further north, another oh, 7,000 kilometers, you get to the Great Pyramid of Giza. All perfectly aligned on the 31 <clears throat> degrees east longitudinal line, otherwise known as the Nilotic Meridian. Then we get to the strange and mysterious... Oh, yeah, sorry about that. It is actually Tellinger that's talking. Yeah, I, I, get, it, I get it mixed up with Hancock. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Tellinger. Now that he just mentioned the Adam's, Adam's calendar, yeah, damn it, yeah, yep, go back a couple of minutes, erase that bit, bang, moving along. It's tools, stone tools and artifacts. I call these the bird-shaped stones. Here's another bird-shaped stone. It looks like it was carved and then the patina has grown over it. And then the weird cone-shaped tools that I started collecting scattered across the mountains. Not to forget the donut stones or the torus stones. And there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of these donut torus-shaped stones scattered throughout southern Africa. And that brings us to the stones that ring like bells, these weird elongated stones that look like French loaves, that when you tap them, they ring so spectacularly, so beautifully, you would not believe it's a stone, it's a bell. The one at the top here, for example, that clearly looks like it was carved or shaped by somebody that doesn't look like a normal stone, and neither does the one at the bottom, and they both ring at the same frequency. Nothing could have prepared me for the discovery of January 2018, when my first Stone Circle research team accidentally discovered the mud fossils of giants. And there you can see a collection of many the of the fly. fossils. We have a shoulder blade. What happened? We got one rib here. There's another beautiful elongated rib. They're just all kinds of body parts that completely and utterly metamorphosize. Now, there's a heart. You can clearly see the aorta, where the aorta goes at the top. You see the coronary artery crossing the heart. This is about three times the size of a human heart. So this could possibly fit the shape of an Anunnaki. If the Anunnaki were three times the size or twice the size of humans, that could be an Anunnaki heart completely fossilized into Hornfels rock. This is a huge problem for geology and metallurgy and chemistry. It seems that when these body parts get trapped in mud and water, they completely and utterly transform from whatever organ it was with the internal structure. It completely metamorphosizes mm -hmm. into very dense crystalline rock called Hornfels in geological terms. When these fossils break, and you look at the internal structure, you can't see internal structure. This is the mystery. Only when you look carefully, you start seeing some indications of weird things going on. And you'll see what I mean in a second. But just to the untrained eye, when any of these fossils break, it just looks like black rock, known as hornfells or ringstone. We have teeth. We have identified a few of these fossils and taken them away to the lab to extract DNA. This is like a foot in a leather shoe. Here we've got bones. You can clearly see that that's a bone up there. Uh, that's not a that's not a, a rock, a fossilized bone. Um, and all these others. This is a bone with muscle. What, what I'll do, I'll actually produce this. Unfortunately, you can't see where he's coming from. That's the thing that sucks. That's why I want to work on this sort of aspect because it's really annoying me not to be able to share these things. Um. And I've given him eight minutes, so that's way, way, way into it. Now, we've heard about the um, the giants, you know, a lot of things talked about, the old giants and all this. Well, <clears throat> there's a thing I come across 
It's a mystery under the Mystery History Channel, which is about 3,000. Well, yeah, yeah, it's 3,000 six fingered giants in Channel Islands. Now, we've heard about even up to this day about these giants, guys, that actually are around. Um, I forget the name of the island. Uh, shit. They actually had wars with them not so long ago in recorded history, apparently. But um, this might blow your mind. Have a listen to this. It is said that he excavated more than 800 grave sites oh. from about 100 individuals. Oh. So I'm going to go back to the start because I was already listening to it. <laughs> Ralph Glidden has a rather interesting story to tell, a story which he continued to tell from the grave. While digging on Catalina Island in the Gulf of California between 1919 and 1928, he found, according to him and numerous newspaper articles from the time, numerous skeletons. But what made his claims particularly interesting, however, was the claim that their average height was around seven to nine feet. Yeah. The question arrived at by all those who have heavily researched his story is, where are these skeletons today? Could it really have just been a publicity stunt? Or did Glidden actually somehow find the remains of a lost race of giants? Santa Catalina Island, also just known as Catalina Island, is one of the Channel Islands off the coast of California in USA. Mm -hmm. The Channel Islands holds the title as the location of the earliest evidence for seafaring in the Americas and also the earliest evidence of humans in North America. Ralph Glidden, who worked on the islands for several decades, was an amateur archaeologist who successfully uncovered ancient burial sites on Catalina Island. It's funny that that's the north, south, that that's the west side of America, and it's really weird, but up in the northwest of Australia as well, we have the highest concentration of um, dinosaur fossils, apparently. Yeah, very interesting. Something to do with the West is the best. Reminds me of the Doors guys. From 1919 to 1928, the West it is said that he excavated more than 800 grave sites from about 100 individual locations around the island. In addition to finding thousands of artifacts, he also stated that he dug up almost 4,000 human skeletons, a claim which has often received a lot of negative attention, many claiming he lacked respect for the dead. However, his reasoning was quite profound. He claimed that there once lived an advanced ancient race of tall, fair-haired Indians on Catalina Island and the adjacent uh -huh. island. With the male adults around seven feet in height, Glidden lost his sponsor after digging for almost ten years, and the general opinion today is that he was just bluffing about finding giant skeletons, with the motive of creating interest and making money. However, he never made much money from his finds and received little financial attention. Additionally, Ralph Glidden was not the first to find a giant skeleton on Catalina Island. According to Pittsburgh Press, July 20, 1913, and also the Daily Telegraph on July 26, a German naturalist named Dr. A.W. Furstenon uncovered an eight-foot skeleton on the island. The skeleton was found with artifacts, such as mortars, pestles, and arrowheads, all different from the ordinary Indian burials plus a strange flat stone bearing unknown symbols. Furstenen had, while in Mexico, 
heard the legend regarding the noble race of giants that had once lived on Catalina Island, long before the white man had arrived. He would find the skeleton along Avalon Bay, in black hard sand. Hey! since vanished. All over the islands, there are countless reports. According to several newspaper articles, Santa Rosa Island sorry. was the site of a sorry. dig in 1959, where they discovered several skeletons more than seven feet tall. The tops of the skulls were painted red, and the skulls were described as having sloped foreheads. On San Nicolas Island, west of Catalina, in 1897, a party of relic hunters stayed three weeks on the barren island, and Newark Daily Advocate would subsequently tell of them finding bones of a giant race on San Nicolas Island. Whether these bones finally made it into private collections is unknown. In 1930, Glidden was ready to sell his collection, including his whole series of secrets regarding the island. In return, he requested an annual annuity for life, funding for five expeditions, and the necessary financing for various planned publications that included a large monograph chronicling all of his excavations. But it me. seems, sadly, regardless of Glidden's confidence, nobody wanted to buy his No one wanted to buy his books or his day biographies. However now, I'm going to continue this for two minutes and then I'm going to get into something else. That's what I'm going to do his miraculous finds, and in 1962, at the age of 81 years old, he sold his collection for a mere $5,000. Just six years later, Glidden died. Mm. However, in March 2012, an unlabeled box was discovered, uh -oh. resting deep within the Catalina Island Museum archives. In this box was Glidden's collection of secret records, among which was, most importantly, a series of unique photographs showing Ralph Glidden indeed excavating one of his authentic, giant, and very ancient skeletons. Many attributed the legend surrounding the great king of Uruk and many of the city's written attributes to mythology. Uruk is said to have become famous as the capital city of the king Gilgamesh, yep. the ancient ruler and hero Gilgamesh. of the epic of Gilgamesh. It is believed that Uruk was the biblical Erech from Genesis 10.10, the second city founded by Nimrod in Shinar. The Epic of Gilgamesh, written by a Middle Eastern scholar 2,500 years before the birth of Christ, commemorates the life of the ruler of the city of Uruk, from which Iraq gets its name. Uruk. Uruk, Uruk. went through several phases of growth, from the early Uruk period, 4,000 to 3,500 BC, to the late Uruk period, 3,500 to 3,100 BC. The city was formed when two smaller Obaid settlements merged. The temple complexes at their cores became the Iana district and the Anu district. Yeah, there it is in the um, thing. I don't know what's going on in the room, mate. Um, what's that about the five grand thing? Yeah, yeah, man. Holy hell. Whew. Could have bought three houses out of that bloody old girl. Bloody hell. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about moments, that's what bloody shoe breaks my heart. Yeah, nearly every day I wake up thinking of that. Oh, well, I miss the old girl as well. But, uh, yeah, what she'd be worth now, shit. Hey, check out this little skank bag. 
don't know if you've heard of her name. Her name's fucking, um, it's got to get this up. Oh, shut up. Um, her name's, um, I am, what's her name? I can't freaking see her name, this stupid whore. Uh, uh, here we go. A United States representative should never wear the flag of a foreign nation. Americans voted for her and she should be representing Americans' interest in public everywhere. Now, I don't even know the name of it. Anyway, what's happened? She's turned out with a freaking Jew, freaking tarred rag on a thing with a big sign of Satan on her skirt. Um, oh, freaking, I had her name. I reckon it's Councilwoman Ina Venikov. Tonight, on the third night of Chanuk. Ah, oh, yeah, she's obviously a freaking chill. Look at this shit. What the fucking flying fuck? Yeah, piss off with your freaking stupid looking, stupid freaking dress. Yeah, she's in blue and white with a big freaking star of freaking Molek. Yeah, good on you. You freaking whorebag. Piss off. I don't even know what her name. You know who she is, guys. Anyway, Cocoon Tomb, a mystery in Taos Caves. Hmm, there's a big mystery in the Taos Caves, guys, that the media won't tell you about, but I will. ...themselves, due to the current condition of the site, Zakaria purportedly opened the Sarkikans' book taken seriously. This public extent... I'm going to tell you. In 1973... Eric Anton Paul von Däniken would publish a book that would change the world. Because of this publication, Eric is thought of as the pioneering advocate of the ancient astronaut theory. He was solely responsible for bringing the ancient alien hypothesis to public attention. His book, Gold of the Gods, included extensive research regarding a lost and very ancient city buried beneath most of Ecuador. In the book, he would detail talks with a man known as Janos Juan Moritz, a figure who had managed to extensively explore the abandoned ancient underground tunnel systems. The entrance to this forgotten world is entered through the Cueva de los Teos, the Teos Cave. While exploring, Janos claimed to have stumbled across a secret passage which led to rooms filled with mounds of golden jewels and coins and a golden sarcophagus placed within an intact ancient metallic library containing books made from a strange metal. Janos's research suggested that the golden fortune, along with the sarcophagus and metallic library located within the artificial tunnels, had been placed there by a lost civilization with the help of extraterrestrial beings. Did Janos Juan Moritz actually stumble upon an ancient alien tomb, a tomb which had managed to survive many thousands of years without being disturbed? Not only were the claims within von Däniken's book taken seriously, they resulted in the most expensive cave exploration ever undertaken. Stan Hall from Britain commenced upon this expedition in 1976 with the goal of finding the golden artifacts and hopefully an alien corpse. Wait till you hear what they found in the pyramids of Giza, guys. The expedition included over 100 people, 
including experts in a variety of fields, British and Ecuadorian military personnel, a film crew, and even former astronaut and first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. The team also included eight experienced British cavers who thoroughly explored the riskier of ancient tunnel systems, successfully conducting an accurate survey of the complex, producing a detailed map of the buried city. Unfortunately, little evidence of von Däniken's more exotic claims was found or remained. It is always a possibility that funded tomb robbers made it there first. It took over a year for Stan Hall to organize his team, a year which experienced a flurry of public attention directed towards what can only be described as drastically consequential claims. What's more, compounding evidence of the artifact's existence unearthed from these exact cave systems has miraculously been documented in the past. Not only had some of these mythical items been recovered, the artifacts had been bought and collected by a man known as Father Crespi. Father Crespi is considered a saint by some, he was born in Milan, Italy in 1891 and died in 1982. He was a Salesian monk who dedicated his life to worship and charity. He actually lived in the small town of Cuenca in Ecuador for more than 50 years. He did not have much wealth, but what he did have, he used to help the less fortunate. He was an avid collector of what could now be classified as impossible artifacts. He would encourage those who needed money to bring him whatever items they could find within the jungles, and he would pay them for their troubles. Although some are crude forgeries, he still paid them for their efforts. Some, however, brought to him from within these cave systems, collaborate the stories of Eric von Däniken. Not only did these particular artifacts collaborate the story, but they were often made from solid gold, exhibited language and visually illustrated culture, of an as-yet-unknown but clearly highly developed ancient civilization. The collection also included several metallic books, inscribed with an exquisite unknown language. Upon Father Crespi's death, his collection was looted by unknown peoples. All artifacts of interest were replaced with obvious forgeries or simply stolen. Hmm. Well... Um, the pyramid sort of aspect doesn't come up on this one, unfortunately. I um I published this one. It's the subversive origins of communism. It's um by Robert Sefer, and um I'm going to give you about four or five minutes um, intro into it. It's actually one that I published earlier today, actually. <sighs> communism it's um it's a little bit boring at the at the front so i'm gonna go up a couple of minutes here where i left off on my bookmark because um it's not gonna load are you all right it's not gonna load um <clears throat> moving along then listen to this this is coffee causes climate change guys coffee causes climate change this is how batshit crazy these people are now Listen to this. Ton of CO2 per ton World of Economic Forum. So no, we should all know that. Shut up. Listen to this freak at the World Economic Forum about coffee. Check this out. The coffee that we all drink um, emits between 15 and 20 tons of CO2 per ton of coffee. 
So we should all know that this is every time we drink coffee, we are basically putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, the other, and one of the reasons is because most of the coffee plantation, or most of the coffee is produced through monoculture, and, um, and, and monoculture is also affected by climate change. Um, the quality of these nature assets is uh, deteriorating quite rapidly. The coffee... Did he even make any freaking sense, for Christ's sake? These people, they've got nothing... I'll bet you he just had a latte before he even come to the frickin' conference, the dirty dog, after his five jet transportation. Frickin' crap me. Get the hell out of here. You make me sick. If Texas declared independence listen, from the United States, encompass... Listen to this. This is about Texas. I brought this up earlier. Look what what would happen if Texas become an independent state, guys. This is quite fascinating. Right. 268 out of 596 square miles, it would be slightly larger than France and rank as the 40th largest country. Texas, bordering the United States to the north, east, and west, would also share a border with Mexico to the south. Home to over 30 million people, it would be the 51st most populous country globally, just behind Madagascar with 30.5 million and ahead of Côte d'Ivoire with 29 million people. The state of Texas boasts the second largest economy in the United States, mm. following California, with a gross state product of $2.4 trillion. This would position Texas as the eighth largest economy in the world, surpassing Russia and trailing behind France. With an approximate per capita income of around $63,000, Texans would be among the wealthiest people globally. Houston would serve as the capital and largest city of Texas, and the official languages of the new country would be English and Spanish. Furthermore, Texas would possess one of the strongest and most advanced militaries globally, boasting a total of 115,000 active-duty military personnel, ranking its military among the best in the world. Mm, very interesting. Have a listen to that again, guys. Texas. Encompassing 268 out of 596 square miles, it would be slightly larger than France and rank as the 40th largest country. Texas, bordering the United States to the north, east, and west, would also share a border with Mexico to the south. Home to over 30 million people, it would be the 51st most populous country globally, just behind Madagascar with 30.5 million and ahead of Côte d'Ivoire with 29 million people. The state of Texas boasts the second largest economy in the United States, following California, with a gross state product of $2.4 trillion. This would position Texas as the eighth largest economy in the world, surpassing Russia and trailing behind France. With an approximate per capita income of around $63,000, Texans would be among the wealthiest people globally. Houston would serve as the capital and largest city of Texas, and the official languages of the new country would be English and Spanish. Furthermore, Texas would possess one of the strongest and most advanced militaries globally, boasting a total of 115,000 active-duty military personnel, ranking its military among the best in the world. Hmm. Very interesting. Next. On my list, 
this is the one about the pyramid. What did they find in the pyramid that we weren't told, guys? What did they find? What did they see? What did they find and what did they see? Would you pyramid? believe a story about an alien mummy being found in the Great Pyramid of Giza? Uh-oh. In the March 2000 issue of the Egyptian magazine Rose Alishov, a strange article posed the same question. As the story goes, in the year 1988, a French Egyptologist named Louis Caparet was exploring the interior of the Great Pyramid when he accidentally discovered a secret chamber. The room had been sealed right after the pyramid was completed, more than 4,500 years ago, and it contained a crystalline transparent case. Apparently, the crystalline case served as life support for a small humanoid alien or human-alien hybrid, which Caparet believed was hibernating or in a stage of suspended animation. The discovery of a previously unknown chamber inside the Great Pyramid sounds... Uh -oh. But finding an actual alien being inside it would be an extraordinary event, if we are to trust this particular account. Further inspection of the chamber revealed clues <laughs> about the identity of its millennial occupant when archaeologists found a papyrus scroll. According to hieroglyphic inscriptions on the scroll, the creature was in fact an extraterrestrial messenger that had arrived in ancient Egypt during Pharaoh Khufu's reign. His mission was to announce the arrival of his brethren, who expressed their interest towards the Egyptian people. Apparently, the pharaoh held the visitor in high regards, since the papyrus claimed the Great Pyramid was actually built as a receptacle for the crystal capsule containing the small humanoid. The fact that the life support system was still working after thousands of years supports the theory that the pyramids were built with the aid of advanced alien technology and it also gives credence to the idea that the pyramids acted as energy receivers. Shortly after his discovery, Caparet called his friend and colleague, biologist uh -oh. F. de Braga, who was in Spain at the time. He boarded the next plane to Cairo, hoping to obtain blood, tissue, and DNA samples from the hibernating alien. But when his plane landed, de Braga was promptly sent back to Madrid by the Egyptian authorities. The alien and its crystal coffin were ultimately confiscated by the State Security Investigations Service and taken to an undisclosed location and that's where the trail stops. No further mentions of Caparet or the secret chambers are made and Egypt has offered no official statement regarding this episode. But this is neither the first nor the only incident when a decidedly non-human body was found in a pyramid. According to legend, the first man to break into the Great Pyramid of Giza was a powerful caliph named Abdullah al-Mamun, the son of Harun al-Rashid. In 813 CE, after weeks of arduous manual drilling, his team of hired Egyptian laborers broke through several blocks of granite and into a burial chamber that contained the remains of a humanoid alien. The alien had been buried with great respect and was surrounded by precious items. In Secrets of the Great Pyramid, Author Peter Tompkins mentions the event. Some Arabian authors have reported that Al-Mamun found in the sarcophagus a stone statue in the shape of a man. They say that within the statue lay a body wearing a breastplate of gold set with precious stones, an invaluable sword on his chest, and a carbuncle ruby on its head the size of an egg, which shone as with the light of day. Another mysterious mummy of an otherworldly being was allegedly uncovered in a small pyramid in El Lahun, 
just south of Pharos and is Rhett II's tomb. As the story goes, Victor Lubeck, a retired University of Pennsylvania University professor made this discovery on 1997 but there is very little information available. The mummy was that of a frail creature measuring around 5 feet in length. It had been buried with special honors, and a number of intriguing objects were found inside the tomb. According to an article published in a 2003 issue of Weekly World News, the mummy dates from about 1880 BC and is humanoid but clearly not human. It's unclear what sex it was, but we know it had unusual reptilian-like skin, no external ears and overly large, almond-shaped eyes. Inscriptions inside the tomb read that the mummy belonged to an important being that had been appointed counselor to the king. Its name was Asirunet, meaning star or heaven sent. The body of Asirunet had been preserved in a very unusual manner, and it was covered with linen wraps and a mixture of clay and gold. As for the unknown objects found inside the pyramid, they were described as devices made of a tough synthetic type material that no one has been able to identify, and the uses of these strange machine-like items are a complete mystery. This finding was particularly upsetting for many Egyptian officials who insisted that it remain secret until a plausible explanation was found. The mummy was allegedly flown to Florida for an in-depth analysis but that's the last time anybody's heard of Asirunet. A similar incident involved a 15-inch-long mummified finger discovered in 1988. Even if these stories sound far-fetched or offer little evidence to support their claims, when considering the greater picture offered by Egypt's many mysteries, they seem possible. Some would say unlikely, but possible. When, and if, the ancient Egyptians built the pyramids of Giza, they exhibited great engineering, mathematical and astronomical skills and we can easily see how the magnificence and precision of their monuments could be attributed to external influence. But in the end, you could say it's really a matter of perspective. Strange Days Establish their governments and opposites too. Give illusion of choice, but we'll own both sides. Control opposition, so we never lose. If they want a leader, then we will supply. They'll turn on each other, we'll make sure they do. Violence and wars they will want, they will plead. Anger and fear is the weapon we choose. The solution is fighting is what they'll believe. The hate will be blinding, they'll turn on their neighbors. Jews are indigenous to the state of Israel, to Judea. Hi, Jewish person with critical thinking skills here. Where are you getting this information? Show me your sources. If you open up the Torah and you read it, who will read the story of how Jewish people ended up in Israel? They are descendants of Abraham, okay? Do you know who Abraham is? Do you know where Abraham comes from? Is a better question. I'll give you a hint, not Israel. Abraham comes from what is now known as present-day Iraq. So what is the story with Abraham and the Jewish people and God? Do you know that? No, a fucking course you don't. Because if you knew that story, you would know that Jewish people are not indigenous to Israel. Story goes, hey God, hi Abraham. 
So glad to hear from you. I have a present for you. Free land. Free land for the Jewish people. You're going to lead them there. You're welcome. Thanks, God. Abraham tells everybody, God spoke to me. He's telling me to take you guys to this land filled with milk and honey. Blah. So Abraham leads the Jewish people to this land. This land is Israel. What happens? What happens when they get there to Israel? There were already fucking people there. So what does God tell Abraham to do? What does Abraham claim God told him to do? Do you know? No, of fucking course you don't. Slaughter and expel those people from the land. Slaughter and expel those people from the land. Those were the indigenous people. Those were the indigenous people, the slaughtered and expelled. It's terrifying that people are getting on to this fucking app or any app and loudly and, and with their full fucking chest boldly stating things so wrong as fact. It's even more terrifying the Jewish people who don't know their own history, don't know the history of their religion, of their culture. If you've ever wondered what you would have done during the Holocaust, civil rights movement, slavery, Canada's uh, genocide of indigenous people, look at what you're doing right now. World tragedies, genocide continues because of people who are too scared to speak out. People who are too scared to speak out because they're afraid of what's gonna happen to them socially. How is this gonna affect me socially? Am I going to lose friends? People going to judge me? People are so much more concerned with themselves than the lives of other humans that when it's happening, they ignore it. And then 50 years or 100 years from now, how did that happen? How, how could we have let that happen? You let that happen. You let that happen. And the cycle continues because people are too scared to speak out because of how it's going to affect them socially. I am begging you. I'm begging you to use your critical thinking skills before you post on the internet. I'm begging you to speak out. I'm begging you to speak out. People are dying. Does that not matter? Children, babies. If you're staying silent, you're complacent in genocide. That is coming from a Jewish person. Boom, 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 boom. Many people go missing, guys. That's right. According to the number of files released by the United States Department of Agriculture, construction of an alien base is underway somewhere in a hidden area located within the Toronto National Forest. This forest is located in Arizona and was confirmed by the United States Forest Services. Check this out. Might blow your mind. 
While each year many people go missing, there may well be a reason for it. According to a number of files released by the United States Department of Agriculture, construction of an alien base is underway somewhere in a hidden area, located within the Tonto National Forest. This forest is located in Arizona and was confirmed by the United States Forest Service. Tonto National Forest is the largest of the six national forests in Arizona. There were witnesses who gave details about what they had seen. Apparently, an email was even sent out to all the rangers within the department back during December 30th of 2013. The following email passages give details about an encounter which is quite bizarre to say the least. David received a call this morning at the front desk from a mail caller reporting the construction of a secret government installation upstream from the Salt River Canyon past Pinal Creek, upstream from Roosevelt Lake. Aliens and at least one detached head are involved. Caller claims to have seen construction cranes coming out the side of the cliffs, miniature stealth planes and UFOs, aliens, and people working together at the site, aliens eating people. He found a severed head and claims to have pictures of some of this stuff. Caller reported that he is 60, not crazy and doesn't do drugs. He said he had already called the office at the lake, but he didn't know if those people were turning the other cheek or maybe those people have been paid off. Records do not give any details about any kind of response to this tip-off. Very, very strange, guys. Keep them busy with drudgery and sweat. They will work hard but still remain poor. And when work is done, they'll be tired and frail. They'll be so exhausted, depleted and drained. They'll be so consumed, they will never prevail. Utterly blind to their bondage and change. History and if they rise is a up, lie. Crush them like right. For they will relinquish to us all their weapons. The fight will be easy, for they'll have no guns. Play Defeating tools. our rival in a matter of seconds. We'll take all their land, resources, and treasure. Stealing their freedom or what they have left. They'll be so fractured they shan't work together. Your history is a lie. We are living in a state of amnesia. There is no doubt about it. What was going on not so long ago, guys? What has been covered up from the 1800s alone? Think about it. What happened? Are we in that little time? No one really talks about that little time in the Bible. That's right, go look it up. The little time. Blow your freaking mind. <clears throat> Look at how your dates have been changed, your calendars. Maybe you're not the zodiac person you think you are. 
they changed times and laws and the name all prophesied guys they changed it and they did it and it was all in that book that they would do it it's a blueprint guys think about it a zodiacal blueprint in my father's zodiac mansions there are many abodes that's right in my farmer's house damaged and miserable pained and distressed slowly surely never stop step by step drop by drop Check this out, guys. There is hope. 93% of Australians are now anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. Aha. Yeah. That's right. Recent studies show that 93% of Australians are now anti-vaxxers by either never being injected um, or refusing to have another booster in the past six months or longer. Further, even 70% of those in residential aged care are also anti-vaxxers. By refusing to be injected with a um, further experiment shot in the last six months, guys, eh? What do you think about that? The cabal is falling. There's no doubt about it. The cabal is falling. Hello, this is Dave. And this is just a quick video to make a bit of sense of what's going on in the world today. Now, many of you would know, will actually know what my views are of the uh, New Testament. But it's not actually scripture. It's more of a roadmap written by a very particular bloodline um, for their descendants in today's world. They're the ones who are running this world today. 
Bye bye. So I was looking at uh, um, the book of Revelation and I came across Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. And it reads, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Where Satan's seat? fast my name. Geneva! And hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. And where is, where is that seat now, guys? Think about the World Economic Forum, the Bilderberg fuckers, the, um, the, the world, the who, all the other bullshits and shenanigans all come from around Geneva, Switzerland. It ain't rocket science. And there's the playbook right there in that book. So, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So it basically says that uh, Satan's seat Think about it. is wherever um, this character called Antipas was slain, course. was put to death. Okay, so... I did a little digging around, and I found this uh, this website that uh, um, was talking about this very subject. And this is it. Now, I'm just looking down through it. Um, and uh, down here but the end, it basically says, well, first of all, it lies about what the, uh, what the New Testament actually says. It reads, according to this page, it reads, I know your works and where you reside, even if you hold fast my name and have not denied my faith. Even these days where Antipas was a steadfast martyr among you who was slain by Satan. That's not what he says. <laughs> So essentially, even this website, and I imagine if I go looking for more, I'll find something similar on, on those websites. But this website actually tries to hide the fact that it tells you where Satan's seat is. But uh, if you read on on this page, it tells you Antipas was put to death during the reign of Nero. That's uh, 54 AD to 68 AD. Uh, burned in a brazen bull-shaped altar at the Apollyon Temple uh, in Lyon slash Geneva, Switzerland. So Satan's seat is in Switzerland, or more accurately, Geneva, Switzerland. Um, now that puts into perspective what, uh, what's said in this video. Everything evil in the world related to demo side, unfortunately comes from Geneva. You have WHO in Geneva. You have Gavi. Then you have the VEF, the World Economic Forum, which my father was a co-founder and left Frau Schwab out of disgust in the early 80s, that has diplomatic immunity. I, as a Swiss citizen, right here now, declare that the VEF is not eligible anymore for diplomatic immunity. I call on the Swiss authorities and security to arrest those people immediately. Why the VEF, WHO, Gavi, Big Pharma, Big Tech, Bill Gates, all advocated a global humanity injection by a bioweapon injecting nanolipids into 5.7 billion people. And we Swiss are hosting them? That's terrible. We cannot tolerate any entity that promotes poison 
to be injected into humanity. But you've done it. I'm the victim, I'm dying from it. And my mother too. It's a demo side and will be judged. It will be corrected in the name of humanity. If you have a house of cards, and this is a house of cards of a criminal, one card pulled by justice and the whole card house collapses. But from hope alone it is not done. Everybody must now change the spirit. And all the vaccinated, the injected, knowing that they are poisoned, we are the masses. We are billions of people. Let's just stand up and say, stop. We will not comply. And in French, ni oubli, ni pardon. Because we are the guardians of humanity and our light obliterates the darkness of evil. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting that um, CERN is centered on that spot. You know, the, the actual Large Hadron Collider yeah, encompasses the, the very temple of Apollyon, uh, which is also the name of the, the beast from the pit. That when, when the door on, is opened, which I think that's what CERN is there for, and is Revelation 9-11. Of course, it had to be. When the door is opened, the destroyer called Apollyon, or Abaddon, it says in, in Hebrew, or Shiva in Hindu, the destroyer, they've actually got a statue of Shiva outside of CERN. That's right. Inside as well. And let's not forget who CERN works for. Six, six, the destroyer six. will enter this world. Mm -hmm. So, again, this puts it all in perspective um, that uh, all the evil that's coming out um, into this world today um, that's uh, trying to exterminate us all or, and, and put us all in 15-minute cities again for orderly extermination, well, this is where it's all coming from. And perhaps this is where it's always been coming from. Anyway, thanks for listening. So that's the thing, guys. You know, everything is introverted back to something that is not natural, whether it's your health, your um, what you see, what you hear these days. Everything has been taken back to the epitome of opposites. So this is what will happen. This is what will rise at the very end. It will be a complete um, nut job of the world, pretty much. Everything will be introverted. There's no look at movies or music these days even. There's no real um, anything. Everything is just void, just blank um, crap, pretty much. And in this CERN, uh, episode there that they're trying to do with particles and stuff they have shiva inside on their boardroom so these things are freaking right in your face guys i mean they even talk about if you listen to the world economic forum and that they're actually talking about culling the people they are eugenicists you know what i mean i mean gates's dad for instance he was one of the biggest back in the day eugenicists that was around so these bastard dogs, they're not out for our good, you know what I mean? What do you think a lot of Africans have um, suffered from their little experiments that they've shoved into their arms, you know? 
they go over there, they pretend that they're trying to um, help a certain society where they're just mass genociding them, really. That's all it boils down to. They're not um, out to help anyone at, at all, at all. And this is the weird thing where one of the most um, prominent places was in Israel for the mass injections. I'm thinking there's two reasonings behind that. One is that they're trying to kill Israel and trying to do something with their new world disorder. For some reason, I don't quite comprehend. Or two is that most of them just didn't even get a real um, injection. They just got, you know, saline or whatever you call it. Um, which is a high possibility to make it look like that or to conform, but um, it's very, very freaking weird either way. Um, I mean, I've seen many documents or photos actually, well, not many, but quite a few that um, have not even put put it in their their arm, you know. So there is a thing in the Talmud that talks about even healing a, a goy, um, you know, it's not up to their levels. So, yeah, it's really, really weird shit. I mean, I don't know where all this is going to go, you know. It's really um, bizarre to think about every aspect of life, you know, like where is this, where... Why are we still talking, even in Israel, what they're doing to, say, Gaza? Like, why are we even talking about this as as humans? Like, shouldn't this have stopped on the second day or third day? Like, are we still just going to sit back and, well, we're going to have some more bureaucrats or whatever you call them just talking about the situation? Or are we going to fucking deal with it? You know what I mean? Like, all right. Okay, 100 days or whatever going on and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and we'll just, well, well, there's concerns about this. There's a court hearing here. No, 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 no. Not on a grand scale of humanity that you would do that bullshit. If you're going to sort it out, you say, hey, hey, come back here. Get the fuck out of there and leave them alone. Simple as that. And if you don't, there's going to be some really big fucking retribution. Simple as that. That's how you deal with shit. Not, well, we're going to talk about this for another two weeks while 200,000 freaking children die and um, live in tents and swallowed water and uranium and whatever. No, 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 no. That's not how you deal with a crisis like this. It's how you pussify around thing while you're watching genocide actually happen to another people. That's what's going on there. That's what's going on there. Alright, let's go. I think I've got one or two more. Let's just have a look at the time, actually. Yeah! Don't hold back, guys. Don't hold back. Oh, shit, we've only got about 10 minutes anyway, my friends. Well, yeah, 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 wow. Well, let's see what I've got here. Uh, let's see what I've got here. Uh, uh, I think it's the same bloke, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's about the same timeline, yeah. 
Right, I'll just try and squeeze in one or more. Um, okay, propaganda and co. Propaganda. Israel wants to kill the hostages' evidence of this bullshit that they're portraying, guys. Like I was saying, you've been played for fools, there's no doubt about it. Never listen to this. You have been told that Israel wants to save the hostages. Do they? Really? Captured on October 7th. But what if you've been lied to? What if Israel's war captain has no intention of saving them? An investigative journalist... Oi, freaking vey. Filmmaker and journalist Dan Cohen acquired secret recordings of the Netanyahu government pressuring Israeli families to sacrifice their children. This is how you do alternative media, Uncle Caps. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, I'm not bullshitting, man. This this guy, this Osman guy, man, he's just a full freaking monty. There's no doubt about it. In Gaza, in order for the genocide <laughs> to continue, so that Israel can conquer and colonize really? Gaza for good. Stick around because I'm about to reveal the sickening details of this explosive investigation that confirms Israel's policy of sacrificing their own people. And you'll be surprised to hear that this theory is supported by prominent Israelis and has been reported by Israeli media. Yes, you heard that right, Israeli media. Now, I'm sure you've heard about the controversial Hannibal Directive, which is the Israeli doctrine of killing their own people to prevent the Palestinians from using them as bargaining chips during negotiations and prisoner swaps. The Hannibal Directive is a doctrine of sacrifice named after the Carthaginian general, who was one of the single greatest threats to Rome to ever live. For years, Hannibal delivered blow after humiliating blow to the Roman Empire. And even after the fall of of Carthage, Hannibal swore an oath of revenge, so the Romans chased Hannibal across the world, hoping to capture him. But when they got close to doing just that, Hannibal decided he would rather die than allow himself to be captured, and so swallowed a vial of poison that he always kept with him just for such a situation. Israel sees killing its own citizens in much the same way, so as to deny their enemies any leverage during negotiations. Now, while it was speculated by many in the aftermath of October 7th that Israel implemented the Hannibal Directive, it has now become crystal clear, even irrefutable through Israeli media, no less, that Israel had done exactly that. <laughs> What if I told you this mass Hannibal is still happening? That it has been happening every day since October 7th? What if I told you that a major aim of the genocide in Gaza was in fact the continuation of this mass Hannibal? On January 15th, the Palestinians released a video of Israeli hostage Noah Argermani. Noah says that she had been injured in an Israeli airstrike and was trapped under the rubble for two whole days. She also says that two other Israeli hostages had been killed by Israeli strikes, one buried underneath the rubble and the other in a moving ambulance in Gaza. She implored Netanyahu to stop this madness and bring us home to our families. These aren't the only Israeli hostages who have been killed or injured. According to Hamas, nearly 60 hostages have been killed by Israeli strikes. Several Israeli hostages released by Hamas have described the terror of being held in Gaza, unsure of whether or not they'd be killed by their own government. <laughs> Oh, I was a lot of times that I 
ימות מהטילים של ישראל ולא מהחמאס. An Israeli sociologist and military expert, Yagil Levy, told the Israeli newspaper Haaretz that Israel is indeed trying to carry out a mass Hannibal. The government's decision to attack Gaza despite the presence of hostages in the, the bombed guys. sites can be considered an extension of the Hannibal Sick. procedure. That is, an attempt to thwart the continuation of the captivity even at the cost of risking the lives of the hostages. The obvious explanation is that the right perceives the pressure to stop the fighting as endangering the pursuit of victory and revenge in Gaza. And therefore, the lives of the abductees are another reasonable sacrifice that must be made. A reasonable and necessary sacrifice to justify the Gaza genocide. Gilad Shalit was a captured Israeli soldier that the Palestinians traded for over 1,000 Palestinians. In an interview with the Israeli media outlet Shomrim, an unnamed figure who was involved in the Gilad Shalit exchange said that Israel was invoking the Hannibal Directive. He says, Hamas expected this to be a repeat of the Shalit case. They thought that they would kidnap Israelis and that we would cave in. But the state of Israel has implemented the Hannibal Directive on the whole of the Gaza Strip. Now, as you can imagine, the families of the hostages are not happy about this. They want their loved ones to be brought home. They're angry. And they have been organizing massive demonstrations, calling on Netanyahu to strike a deal and end the war to save their loved ones and live up to their promise of bringing them home, which was supposedly a key objective for Israel in this war. And some of the demonstrators are former hostages themselves. And so Netanyahu has been gaslighting the families of these hostages to convince them to sacrifice their own children so that he can achieve his political ambition of conquering Gaza and ethnically cleansing the Palestinians from it. You see, to Netanyahu and his cabinet, the families of the hostages are nothing but an obstacle that stands in the way of Israel's genocide in Gaza. But more importantly to him, they are endangering his political career. In a private meeting between Netanyahu and the family of the hostages, several far right-wing extremists whose family members were also taken hostage were brought in to try and convince everyone else that their pain should be set aside for the greater interests of the Israeli state. One of these far right-wing extremists, Ohad Zvi Lapidot, addressed the families. This is a secret audio recording of that exchange. <laughs> Outraged, a mother of one of the hostages responded. What Lepidot said next set fire to the room. Now, as you can clearly tell, there is division amongst the families. Yet, after the meeting, the far right-wing extremist family members in support of Netanyahu sacrificing their children for conquest went outside and spoke directly to the media pretending to represent all of the families that had met with Netanyahu
by dividing the families and using guilt to dissuade them from standing in his way and then lying to both the public and the media, Netanyahu seeks to maintain his position that Gaza must be completely wiped off the map. This psyop, this lie, this betrayal of the families of the hostages of the Israeli citizenry, who are nothing but pawns to Israeli leadership, is how Netanyahu has been able to convince Israeli society to continue the war. Ever since this psyop took place, Netanyahu's war cabinet has implemented a mass Hannibal policy in Gaza, wiping out their hostages and removing all obstacles to the ethnic cleansing and genocide of the Palestinian people. In one case, the IDF used poison gas to kill an Israeli hostage, being held in an underground tunnel. In a chilling social media post, the mother of the murdered hostage said her son crushed his fingers trying to dig his way out of the tunnel before choking to death on the poisonous gas. She rightly asks, if it were Netanyahu's son being held hostage, would the IDF have acted so recklessly? She went on to say that, there is no future for this country after what they did to you. This poor mother raises an important point. What is the point of establishing a safe home for the Jews and expanding your territory through conquest for your own people if you have to murder your own people? to achieve it. Fucking psychopathy, guys. Absolutely weird shit. Absolute weirdness. Very strange people. There is so much more in this bombshell investigation conducted by Dan Cohen, so check out the link to his article. And remember, we all know that the algorithm censors and bans content like this. So we need your help to spread the word. Support our ongoing investigations. Free Palestine. What a weird world, guys. What a rabbit hole, eh? Lieutenant Cole Michael Aquino, U.S. Army retired and founder of the Temple of Set, has died by suicide. Are the rats leaving the ship? Are the ship leaving the rats? Interesting. An illusion so large it will escape their perception, and those who will see it will be followed up. We're about to end the broadcast, guys. Thank you for joining. We'll catch us on the next episode. One drop at a time, never bringing suspicion, prevent them from seeing the changes occur. Secretly silent, advancing our mission, an invisible weapon. A dark saboteur will weaken their minds, keep their lifespan short with metals in foods in the Thank you, brothers and sisters, or brothers and sisters. I really do appreciate your support. All right, I'll catch us on the next episode of Strange Days. There is no doubt about that. Ilakesh. Making it harder and harder to Let's play a song for one of my Surely never As she's in here step by step Let's have a look If she's not, I'm going to play it Yeah Bow, bow, blood, our secret covenants Bow, bow, 
Let's take this out with a special song. That's right. I'm going to do a special song, Caps. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do one for my lady lover. That's right. She's going to love it. She knows who she is. Here we go. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time. We've got about two minutes before they freaking shut the shit down. Here we go. Enjoy. Listen to the words, guys. Thank you. 